It's good to see all of you here this morning. It's a pleasure to come out and worship any Sunday uh, that we can. If you would like to follow along this morning, we'll be out of Luke chapter 22. The majority of our lesson will be out of that, Luke chapter 22. Before we get there, I just want to say a few comments. I want to thank thank you for the opportunity to speak. I always appreciate that opportunity. I thank you for all of you coming out this morning. I appreciate the encouragement that and the confidence that I got from my brothers and sisters talking to me this morning. Thank you so much. This morning we're going to be talking about Jesus in the garden, something that we're very familiar with. I just want to review it and go over a couple of points. But before then, I want to kind of set up the scene. It's exactly where we are in Bible class, actually. We're talking about the last week of Jesus' life. And this is the most information we probably have about Jesus is the last week that he was here. As we've talked about, the majority of the Gospels talk about it. There's a lot that happens, and there's a lot that sets up this scene that we see here in the garden. And so we have the, he's already out in, in Galilee, he's out in the land, he's raised Lazarus, and at first uh, glimpse we see that he is mindful he's going to Jerusalem to die. He's already mentioned this to the apostles, but he comes into Jerusalem, he has the triumphal entry, and he has all the teaching that he does the week before. Here, this is the last time that Jesus is going to be with his apostles until he's ascended. And he spends lots of time with the apostles. And in a couple chapters earlier, it says during this time, Jesus would go to the Mount of Olivet to pray in the evening, and crowds would come to him in the morning. So this whole week, Jesus has been a very, under very distressed time. And here in the garden is right after the discourse that he's had in the upper room with all the apostles. Now, if anybody has ever been to college, say that, or has been to a seminar, an all-day seminar, or is cramming for a test, you're, you get deadhead after that. You know, you just, you're in a blur. I did that recently, a couple weeks ago. I was working on a project at work, and I was so focused on this project and into it that people would come up and ask me a question, and I would just be just like brain dead. I couldn't, couldn't tell them what was going on. This is, this is where the apostles are at now. That discord in the upper room, Jesus is just unloading the last bit of information that he can on them. And they've had a rough time because they've been probably following Jesus all this week, back and forth and forth and back, and all these teachings. So this is a very trying time for everybody. I know this is something that we're all familiar with. I just want to set the scene before we get into Jesus when he's here in the garden. In Luke chapter 22, and verse 39 as well, we'll start. And he came out and proceeded as it was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And he arrived in that place and said, Pray that you might not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet my, not my will, but yours be done. And now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow, and said, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you might enter. You may not enter into temptation. So here's the first section we want to look at. 
is Jesus praying. We know from other accounts that he went out to pray three times and came back to his disciples. There's a couple things I want to point out here for lessons we can learn. First, Jesus is praying before a very, very trying time in his life. He knows what's going to, about to happen. He knows what's going to go on. And you can't help but think, even though he was 100% man, he was also 100% God, he had an inkling knowing what was going on. This was prophesied from the prophets. I mean, it's been spoken about for hundreds of years by this time. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He's praying for strength. And Jesus didn't want this to happen. As, as weird as that sounds, he, he didn't want this to happen. We can see in verse 42, a very simple saying, remove this cup from me. But you can tell he was distressed. Three things in verse uh, 43 and 44. First, an angel from heaven appeared to him. He needed that much comfort that obviously the apostles at this time weren't helping him out. They were asleep. But he needed strength, and that was provided through an angel. And he was in agony, praying fervently. He was distressed. He was pleading with God. I can, I can only imagine how sincere that prayer was to God. We have the words written down in John chapter 17, but how fervently those words must have left Jesus' lips. And then, 40, uh, 44, his sweat became drops of blood falling down on the ground. Again, something that we're all very familiar with. I've heard a couple lessons, particularly on this point, from doctors. And this is a, a medical condition that you can actually, your pores will split open and actually you'll start bleeding blood. This is when you become very distressed or you're under lots of tension. And obviously Jesus was at this time. He might not have slept for a couple days at this point. So here, this is just the night before. This might have been the second, maybe third day that Jesus had no sleep. Because we see that he was praying during the week he was in Jerusalem. Every night he was going out to the, the mount to pray. And here is no exception. He's praying all night. So we can only imagine the physical stress that's going on here. Lessons that we can, we can learn from this is that we can pray before tough situations if we're going through trials if we have something tough coming up maybe a hard conversation we're having with maybe a coworker, a family member if you're having some trying time financially if you're going through a difficult temptation we need to remember to pray during this time and sometimes it's easy for us as human to think that well i can't pray at this time i, I need i need to do something we, we rely on ourselves well, well i need to get this done or i need to get that done or we're not confident in our prayers, that we don't know what to say, or you know, our mind, like I said, we're just so deadhead, we're just so boggled that we don't know what to say. But we need to take from this example that even in the most distressed time in our life, we can go to God in prayer. So the first lesson is we need to pray during tough trials. Continuing on, we'll continue in verse 47 of Luke 22. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And those who were around him saw what was going to happen, and they said, Lord, shall we strike them with sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, 
no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who came against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, did not, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. So here is probably one of the most disappointing times in Jesus' life. He's betrayed by a friend. Judas, he betrayed Jesus. Can't get, can't get around that. He was maybe at this time a little bitter toward Jesus, as Sean has mentioned before, and I'm sure we'll go more into as the week progresses. But, but Judas, despite all of that, was chosen as part of the 12 apostles. Judas did go out and preach. Judas was with Jesus for about the three years of his ministry. And Judas saw the miracles performed. He saw the discount with the, the discord with the chief priests and elders. Here's just a very low time in Judas's life. And we all can relate to this at one point or another when we've disappointed somebody. And no doubt Jesus was very disappointed in Judas at this time. It had to happen. It was fulfilled in the scriptures. But Jesus must have been so disappointed with Judas. But you can't stop the will of God. In a parallel account in Matthew chapter 26, I'll start in verse 49 out of Matthew 26. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said to him, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. And then they came and laid hands on Jesus to seize him. And behold, one of those that were with Jesus reached out and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he at once can put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? And that the scripture must be fulfilled, which said it must happen this way. So here we can see just how much in control Jesus is in this situation. The apostles want to, you know, strike back, and, and we can look back at other accounts saying the apostles were looking for a physical kingdom. They were, they were willing to fight, and we can see hints of that. But here, what I want to pull out is that this 12 legions of angels. We sing the song 10,000 angels, and depending on what you look up or who you talk to, you can get different numbers. But I read a commentary one time that this number, 12 legions, implies that one angel for every man, woman, and child in the population of the earth at this time. So imagine a one-on-one battle with angels. I don't think that would turn out very well. And we can see that the Lord, that God is with Jesus at this time for the fact that an angel was with him in the garden In this account, Jesus knows that he can call for angels. Again, showing a temptation of Jesus that he can can call this off any time, but he knew what had to happen. He had to suffer, and we cannot stop the will of God. And that's something we have to remember in our lives. When things go bad, we might be dealt a shorthand, or things happen that we just can't explain. We've lost a loved one. You've lost a friend. I've unfortunately lost a friend this week. You just look back and you can't stop the will of God. It's going to happen. There's a reason for it, and we might not always know why. 
but God is in control. And that's what we have to remember. Not only in our lives, but even a time like this during a pandemic, during an election, during something that's unsure. I'm confident to say that we live probably one of the most comfortable times in human history when we're going up for this election. Yes, there's trial. Yes, there's strife. But it's nothing compared to Rome. Nothing compared to the captivity of the Babylonians or the Assyrians. And even there, you can go back into the prophets and you can look at what the prophets were telling these people during the time of captivity. Grow. Prosper. Get jobs. Plant food. Prosper where you are. If you will prosper and you conform to the laws of the land, you will be blessed during the Babylonian captivity, during the Assyrian captivity. We are not under distress like those times at all. We live a very comfortable life. It's important to know that God is in control of all things. And that truly gives me comfort during something like this. Obviously at work whatnot, we talk about politics, we talk about this, we talk about that. I mostly joke because that's just my nature. I joke about everything. But I'm confident in God. I'm confident in His plan. If America, if all of America and the Constitution, the Bill of Rights were overthrown on November 3rd, it wouldn't really bother me that much. It would be really trying. It would hurt. We'd have to get used to a whole new normal. But that doesn't overthrow God. It does not overthrow His plan. And that's what we can see here when Jesus accepts His fate through Judas. That you cannot stop the will of God. Continuing on in Luke chapter 22, we're down in verse 54 now. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking at him intently, said, This man is with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went and wept bitterly. Another very disappointing time in Jesus' life. Now he's not only been betrayed by Judas, in another account we see that the apostles fled. No one was with him at this time. Peter was present. John was around. We can see that from another example. But he was alone. And now Peter, the, the apostle who Jesus handed the keys to the kingdom, it's Peter who's going to be the one teaching on Pentecost. Peter's going to be the first one to teach to the Gentiles. Peter is the, has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he denies Christ. It's pretty disappointing. Sometimes friends can disappoint you. But friends are still friends. 
despite this time in Peter's life and despite the agony that Jesus is going through at this time. And I like this account because you can see that they locked eyes. They knew. We, we all have our little inside jokes with friends, our little looks, our little quirks that you can just look at each other and know. Peter knew. Jesus knew. Peter knew exactly what happened. He knew exactly his fault, and he ran. We oftentimes do the same. We fall short. We have caused strife with our brothers and sisters. My own life, I can, I can think of times past where I handled situations that I'm not proud of. I did not act Christian-like. And that's my own fault. That's my own shortcoming. But even though friends can disappoint you, they're still friends. In John, the last chapter, we see the discord between Jesus and Peter. The discourse, excuse me. And Jesus pleading with Peter, come back to me, feed my lambs. Come back to me, tend my flock. Peter, feed my sheep. I know you disappointed me, Peter, but you need to come back to me. We need to remember this with our friends. So, so easily sometimes we can just forget. We can hold a grudge. We cannot forgive. But friends who are truly friends, we need to realize and give them patience and forgive them. Because we don't know what they're going through. We don't know the trials they're facing. After this, Jesus is taken to die. This is a lesson that none of us need repeating. Those of us who are Christians know the story very well. But this morning, I would like to share a story. Just a story about the crucifixion of Jesus. My friends joke that I'm a storyteller and I can get pretty long-winded. I'll get you out early. Don't worry, Sean. You can have your time. But I want to share a story with you to put you in the place of Jesus. You're in olden times. You're coming to Jerusalem. It's the Passover. You're with your family. You're traveling by foot, walking through sand. You're approaching the town of Jerusalem. You have your Passover lamb with you. Your family or yourself are protecting that lamb because that lamb can't have spot, can't have blemish. That Lamb falls down, that lamb gets dirty, that lamb wanders off. That's your sacrifice. You're bringing this lamb with you into Jerusalem. When you get to Jerusalem, it's crowded. You have to elbow your way through the crowds. You don't know what's going on. Of course, it's Passover. People always wait till the last minute, right? Black Friday shopping, anybody? Always wait for the last minute. You're elbowing through, but something's different. You can tell there's a different tone in the city. And as you're going through, you come to a clearing. And there's some sort of procession going on. And there's a man beaten, bruised, bloody. And you can just see the trail of blood stepping everywhere behind him. And he crumbles at your feet right in front of you. He can't even lift himself. Right at that moment, a guard takes you and throws you to the ground and says, You carry his cross. 
You try to resist, you get up, but then he draws his sword. You have no option. You reach down, you pick up this chunk of wood. You lay it on your back. The sweat that was on him is now on you. The blood that was trickling down his cheek runs down your cheek. You step by step by step, carrying this cross, carrying this man, bloody, bruised, up to Golgotha. When you get there, they take the man, they take the cross, and they stretch this man out and nail nails into his wrist. Screams that you've never heard before come out of this man. Deafening screams. They lift him up and set him in the middle of Golgotha. No one's there to comfort him. No one's there to bring him peace. No one is mourning this man's death. What did this man do? What did he do to deserve this? Darkness falls throughout the land. No one knows what's going on. The sun is now hidden. You see one or two people make their way up to this man. This discourse. No mourning is done there. Towards the end you hear, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani! My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was alone on that cross to bear our sins, to bear my sins, that we might have a hope in heaven. His last words, it is finished with every ounce of energy that he can say. And now no longer a man is on that cross, but a corpse, limp, dead. That should mean something to us. That death that Jesus gave affects us as Christians. If you're not a Christian, man, I certainly hope you would be. If you're here, you're obviously curious about it or intrigued. I encourage you to have a Bible study, ask questions to be a Christian. For those of us who are Christians, we need to remember, we need to pray during trials. God's will will always happen. And even though friends forsake us, they can still be friends. If you need prayers or help from the congregation, please come forward as we stand and sing.